Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Um, my guest today is Rafael Maze, uh, CEO of Alice. Rafael, how are you doing? Doing really well. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so tell me, what, what does Alice do? What's the company about? It sounds like from Resident Evil, the uh, evil computer that, that ran everything, but I'm sure your implementation is different. <laughs> That's the first time I've heard that one. Uh, actually, the, the name comes from uh, the Alice and Bob. You know how Alice is always giving money to Bob? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, yep. So we're all about giving, um, and our first uh, our first application is a donation platform. So that's where it came from. Um, and yeah. Whenever uh, people talk about cryptography, they always use Alice and Bob. So I get the reference, but I just want to make sure our listeners do. So that's cool. Okay. So tell me about yeah. this uh, program. So we're um, we started off as a as a donation platform. And the idea is that uh, donors can see exactly what impact their money makes when they give to a to a social cause. Uh, the the idea really came from a previous startup that uh, Areti and I, so we're, we're three co-founders, uh, Areti and Jacob, who's our CTO. Uh, so Areti and I were working on a, on another charity tech startup uh, that was all about advocacy, online advocacy, helping people do more than just sign a petition or like a Facebook page. Um, and But what we realized, so the, part of the business model was that people would donate as well as taking action. Uh, but the, the donations just worked um, a lot less well than the, than the action taking, um, which was a bummer because that was our that was our business model, as I said. Uh, so we started looking into into why that was, um, and what we realized is that because there are a lot of people who just uh, either have lost trust in the charity sector, or uh, just want to know more about how their how their money is is actually making an impact. Um, and so we we started looking into solutions to actually help them track that. And blockchain technology and smart contracts were just seemed obvious at the time. This was already back in uh, 2015, end of 2015. And so we started working on that. So the the way that it works is when you give to a uh, to a social organization, you your money actually gets held in escrow. So it gets frozen. And it's only okay. when the proof that the, that the charity has done what it was supposed to do uh, that, that, that there is that proof and that triggers 
the payment of, of the donations to the charity. So basically, when they set up an appeal oh. on the current platform, they have to specify a number of goals that they're going to achieve. So if you look at the pilot that we're running now, it's to help 15 rough sleepers in London. It's run by St. Mungo's, which is a UK-based homelessness charity. Uh, they have a bunch of goals that they're trying to achieve, so helping people find either a temporary home or a permanent home, uh, helping them um, with their mental health issues, helping them with their substance abuse issues, if they have any. And it's only when uh, they achieve those goals that the donations get made. All right, well, let's contrast this. Tell me what you know about the quote-unquote regular uh, charity industry. What percentage on average of people's donations, and I know it depends on the charity, but on average, what percentage you get actually given to the beneficiaries, and what's the process? You know, I send money to, you know, kids with no legs. What happens to the money normally if it doesn't go into escrow? Well, first of all, I'd say that we really don't look at uh, the effectiveness of charities in terms of how much money goes to the beneficiary. Uh, it, uh, we, it's not, in my view, it, that kind of thinking is actually quite toxic uh, because it's not always a question of giving money to, uh, to, to the end beneficiary. So if you look at the, at the pilot that we have on the platform right now, um, it's all about helping homeless people, rough sleepers. Now, you could just give that money to them on the streets uh, when you walk by them, and uh, and hopefully they that will that will help them out, uh, and they can maybe find somewhere to sleep or something. Uh, but the reality is that if you just did that, uh, I mean, if if that worked, then there probably wouldn't be any homelessness uh, anymore because there are a lot of people who just give to people on uh, who who are who are sleeping rough. Um, and the pilot that we have right now. Uh, actually, no money goes to the beneficiaries at all. So no money gets to the to the rough sleepers. All of the money goes to the charity itself, to uh, to um, to the key workers who are working day in day out with the rough sleepers. So there are lots of services available to uh, to rough sleepers, but the ones that are in the program are people who have been on the streets for more than a year, uh, people who have really really heavy um, issues, either mental health issues or physical issues or substance abuse issues, and they need uh, the additional sort of one-to-one personal help from these key workers to help them navigate um, a world that's probably become very confusing for them. So for them, getting, um, getting a flat, getting a, a permanent accommodation is really difficult because they they wouldn't even know where to start. So uh, the the guys at St. Mungo's help them through the process, help them get the um, the benefits that they're entitled to. They help them negotiate the the rental agreements. They help them sign up for them. They vouch for them, uh, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But no money actually goes to the rough sleepers themselves. Um, so in, in right, that so you sense, found a, what you think is a better model instead of giving them money, which doesn't seem to help. You're providing a service to them, like giving them a place to live or other stuff like that? Yeah, it really depends on, on what the project is, right? So in this case, it's helping rough sleepers find accommodation. Uh, in other cases, it might be cleaning up a river. Uh, in other cases, it might be, I mean, we have a couple of appeals that are, that are coming up to help um, uh, kids in difficult environments. Um, and it's really all about the impact. So obviously, it's a concern if the CEO of a charity is earning uh, hundreds and hundreds of, uh, of thousands of pounds or dollars. Um, and you might think that that's just abusive. But actually, when, when, you, when you really get down to, to the details, nobody really cares 
how much uh, the CEO is getting paid or how much the key workers are getting paid. What they want to know is whether their money is actually solving a social issue. And where we hope that we, we can bridge the two, so uh, basically showing people what impact their money makes, but also making sure that it's good value for money, is with the network effect. So the more uh, projects you'll have on the platform, the easier it will be to compare those projects. And if you have the choice between two projects that have a really great track record helping whoever they're helping, Rough Sleepers, for example, uh, but one is way cheaper than the other in terms of how it gets there, then it's uh, fairly obvious that if you're conscious about how your money is spent, you're going to go to you're going to give your money to the one that uh, that is obviously uh, more effective from a financial perspective, and that actually is the basis for the expanded uh, vision that we have for Alice that goes uh, that goes beyond donations and focuses really on uh, impact data, performance data, and uh, the ability to uh, to benchmark and compare projects amongst themselves. So are you involved with projects only for the homeless, or are you involved with other kinds of projects? No, so it's uh, it's the the platform is open to any project. Uh, it just so happens that the first uh, the first pilot that we're doing is with St. Mungo's and it's working on homelessness. Uh, as I said, there are there are quite a few more appeals that are going to be launched in the next few months uh, that are going to be focusing on all kinds of social and environmental issues. Yeah, what are some of the uh, ones that you're going to be launching in the next six to twelve months? So as I said, I can't really talk about the specifics yet because they're they're not public. Uh, but there's one that is uh, helping um, uh, kids who are on the verge of becoming homeless themselves uh, in in London. Uh, a very similar one that's going to be in the north of England. We're discussing now an, an appeal uh, with a with a charity in South Africa that would help um, replant uh, trees in zones where they've they've been cut down and helping the the local community. Uh, green their environment again, um, and that one's interesting because it would be validated, or what would trigger the payments would be uh, chips that are put directly in the trees that would automatically uh, trigger payments if they're if they're still there after after a given amount of time. Uh, there are others that are, that are funding support lines, mental health support lines, uh, where that are plugged directly into the the phone banks of the charities, uh, so donors know exactly. How many people they've helped. Um, there are just many different use cases that are that are going to be coming through. So, what what are some examples of charity efforts you've seen that have flopped versus ones that have succeeded, and why? You mean in general terms, or in terms of what's been going on on uh, on Alice? Well, you know, what learnings have you gotten? So, you know, all I've seen is oh, give money to Group A, give money to Group B. But you said that's not as effective as some of the methods you're talking about. So I just wonder how many examples you've seen and, and why you guys are smart enough to tie um, donations to results instead of just to like handouts. So I wanted some of your insights there. Yeah, 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 of course. Well, the, 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 the main starting point that we have is that uh, trust in the charity sector has, uh, has basically collapsed in the last few years. Um, it's something that's, uh, that's true in the UK, it's true in the US, in Canada. In uh, all around Europe, um, there's just this general cynicism around uh, around the charity sector. It's not helped by the fact I know the UK environment much better than anywhere else, 
uh, obviously because we're based here and that's where we're starting to work from. Uh, but there have been several uh, charity blow-ups, really high-profile ones in the UK, uh, where charities have just collapsed because they ran out of money, um, because they were mismanaging the money. Uh, there are always lots of um, there's always lots of criticism around how foreign aid is used. Uh, you know, the, there's outpourings of uh, of solidarity when there's uh, when there's something like a hurricane that happens in the Caribbean. Uh, but then you found out later that uh, that actually a lot of that money is stuck somewhere that it hasn't actually been used to for 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 what it's supposed to be used. Um, everybody's seen on billboards or on the or on adverts on TV that you know just sending uh, five dollars or five pounds to uh, to to X charity could help uh, buy I don't know nets to to to, pre to prevent uh, diseases that are transmitted by mosquitoes, for example. But the operative word there is always it could buy nets, meaning that uh, you're not sure whether it will actually will uh, buy nets. Um, right. So tying the the donations to impact and crucially like making sure that the impact is independently verified means that we can start reversing the trend uh, in terms of the the lack of trust in uh, or the, the declining trust in the charity sector and um, and hopefully uh, we can uh, we can uh, start uh, identifying the projects that really are effective at dealing with the with with the problems that they're that they're tackling, you know, and w what we really want to do is just help uh, charities build a track record of how well they're doing. Um, the the funding on on Alice is by its very nature it's unlimited, uh, so it's not like a typical crowdfunding site where you have a specific target. We need to raise I don't know ten thousand dollars and then and then that'll be that, and we'll update you after that if and when we have time to do so. Uh, on Alice is very different. You can fundraise indefinitely. I mean, if you are helping, um, if you start off by helping t 15 rough sleepers and it works, then you can go on to help 20, 100, 200 until there are no more rough sleepers because, uh, because the program has been so, so effective. And every step of the way, you are telling donors exactly what their money has achieved in, term in terms of impact. How do you... Um monetize this so that you can hire people to get this stuff done and help the rough sleepers. You know, there's, it takes work to do this. So yep. how do you split out someone's donation into the effort versus the administrative cost? Right. So that's a really, really interesting question. The, um, first, so there's, there's a business model for, for Alice, right? And then there are the, just the running costs for the, for the charities themselves. So, for the charities, they need to specify uh, more or less how they're going to how they're going to spend their money. But uh, in essence, we give them we give them free range. So at the beginning of a project, they will specify um, which outcomes they want to achieve, which goals they want to achieve. They'll also specify how much money they will get from the the pot of donations if they achieve those outcomes. And uh, and then from there, whenever those those goals have been verified and validated, then they will get the corresponding money uh, amount of money from the from the donation. So how they split then the cost is entirely up to them. We give them a lot of freedom in terms of uh, of how they want to do that. 
Um, and as I said, really what we want to get to is when you have similar projects that uh, that are that are that are appealing for the same for the same donations essentially, uh, then you will see some that are. Uh, really successful, but cost uh, a little bit less, which obviously means that they are being managed uh, more effectively. Um, and we make we will make that uh, blatantly obviously uh, obvious to the donors. Now, in terms of the Alice business model itself, right now we have a business model where we take a small percentage uh, of the donations as a fee when they are paid out. To the to the charities, uh, so on 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 success essentially, uh, but we don't really like that business model. We want to phase it out eventually. We want all the money to go to the charities themselves. It's just something that we have to do at the moment to uh, to generate some revenue. But where we are going to the the other routes for, of mon or the the other ways we're going to monetize this is uh, essentially has to do with access to the performance data. And we are creating also an impact investment application uh, that plugs into the platform. So we're going to, like, there are a lot of impact investors, there are lots of trans, uh, sorry, a lot of trusts and foundations that need to be able to access the data from other, uh, from other projects to compare what they're about to, to fund. Right, so uh, it's really important for them that they, when they're doing their due diligence, that they can compare and benchmark projects against each other. And so every time that they will need that information, that they want to go and do their due diligence, or they want to desi help design a project, and they want to see what what else has been done in the space and what has been successful, what hasn't been successful. Uh, every time they access that data through the Alice platform, they'll make uh, some kind of micro transaction, micro payment. Um, that, uh, that will give them access to that information. Part of that is going to be uh, used to maintain the network, and part of that is actually going to be shared with the, with the charities that generated that data in the first place. Uh, but then also we're going to open up the platform to impact investors. So these are, these are different types of funders who, accept, who um, uh, expect uh, a return on their investment. So they will typically fund social enterprises rather than charities. And they will um, they will typically give them a loan uh, to to carry out whatever social project they're doing, and then uh, they will expect to be to have that loan paid back with uh, with interest, which is generally below market rates. Um, but for them, uh, so we will we want to monetize that uh, and have them pay for uh, for the for the investments rather than uh, the donors. And the really cool thing is that we can put all of those elements together and, uh, and allow charities and social enterprises to tap into different pots of money while also reaping the rewards of, uh, of, of being transparent, if that makes sense. And it, <clears throat> all right. And I should have asked at the beginning, but what, what's your background? Why do you work in the charity space? And what about your co-founders? Why do you guys choose to work in this area? Well, so me personally, I, I used to work on, in, on the dark side, uh, I think. Uh, you can call it that safely. Uh, I used to work in corporate communications and uh, government relations, so I was a lobbyist basically. And I was uh, the work that I was doing was just helping generally big multinationals uh, to uh, to communicate uh, to uh, communicate their financial results or communicate whatever their sustainability 
projects or um, help them shape the uh, the legal and regulatory environment in uh, in the countries that they were that they were operating in. So a lot of contact with politicians, uh, government decision makers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but what I really enjoyed about that job, so first of time, sometimes first of all, sometimes you you have projects that are really not inspiring. I mean, there are some sectors where you that you don't really want to touch, but you have to uh, because uh, because it pays for the bills. Um, but the, the the projects that I really enjoyed were the ones that uh, that were genuinely making an impact where uh, we were building alliances between uh, these these big corporations and patient groups, for example, or consumer groups or uh, advocacy groups, and and uh, basically building these coalitions to make good stuff happen. And a, a typical example would be when I was in Brazil, we'd help pharma companies, big pharma companies. Uh, get their medicine onto the the local national health service uh, so that it would be free for the people who need it. Um, and often these uh, the, this medication was just not available, w- was life-saving, uh, but Brazilians couldn't get access to it. So working with the patient associations, those people who were actually suffering from the disease and needed it most, and putting pressure on the government, negotiating with the government, etc., uh, to get them on is, is something that, you know, felt felt really good. And I wanted to, um, uh, I wanted to basically focus on that rather than rather than all the rest, which is why I set up the first uh, the f- this first startup that was all about online advocacy with Areti. Areti, she's been uh, she's been working in the, in startup land uh, for as long as I can remember. We met at uh, uh, in our master's degree in university in in London more than ten years ago. And uh, Jacob, he's just a really thoughtful. Uh, donor. He's like a thoughtful philanthropist. He um, he's, the, he's one of those people who will spend hours uh, researching charities before he gives donations, and was just getting really frustrated about how long it was taking and how opaque the uh, the information was. So he was he was really really interested in uh, in how we could make that simpler, uh, reduce the cost for for charities in terms of like reporting their impact. And uh, and and showing donors exactly um, what their what their money is achieving. All right. Well, very good. So you know we're going to wrap up soon. What what's happening with you guys for the next six to twelve months? The homeless project, the rough sleepers, as you call them, is um, what stage is yeah. that at? And what other projects are coming potentially? Yeah. So we have so in terms of the the, the current donation platform, uh, there are quite a few more appeals that are going to come online. Uh, and as I said, I can't really talk about the specifics just because uh, they're not public yet. Uh, but we're going to we're going to launch quite a few more um, projects on the platform that people will be able to donate to. Uh, but also, what we're going to focus on more and more are these uh, two other pillars of the of the network. So uh, the actual impact management application uh, that um, that allows people to um, to identify, access the performance data in a much more granular way of different projects. It allows um, funders to compare projects amongst each other. Uh, there's an open ID element to that that allows uh, charities and social enterprises to collaborate also in terms of the beneficiaries that they're helping. Uh, so making sure that they know when, uh, when they're helping the same people, uh, but with like some really strong uh, data protection uh, protocols in there 
so selected disclosure protocols and encryption um, on all that on all that sensitive data. Uh, and the other one is the the impact investment uh, application, which is uh, which is going to be the third the third pillar. That's going to be really cool because it plugs in and it and it can be combined with the donation platform, um, and it can also it also uh, allows us to build a, a secondary market where impact investments can actually be traded to secondary investors um, uh, who have complete transparency on the track record of the of the project. So. Um, yeah, we're going to focus on all of those, all of those things. Well, very good. All right. So, how can um, people that are potential donors and other people connect with you? With you? Right. So, um, we we would love to get feedback um, from uh, from anyone who's interested in in helping us. Uh, we're going to be publishing actually our white paper uh, in the next few weeks, and uh, and we'll be we'll be announcing that. And we're looking forward to to people just delving into that and, and letting, letting us know what they think. So we have a new, the best way at the moment to get in touch with us is by joining our newsletter. And you can do that by going onto the website, uh, alice.si. Uh, SI stands for social impact. Um, and we, we haven't actually really opened our Slack channel uh, yet, uh, just because of all the issues that, are, that have been about around Slack. So we're probably going to migrate to something else. Uh, but basically, the, the best solution is uh, sign up to the newsletter, follow us on Twitter, so it's at Alice underscore SI underscore, um, and we'll take it from there. Rafael, that's great. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thanks so much. No, thanks a lot for having me. It's been, uh, it's been fun. The Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, both to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.